0: Welcome to Through the Lens, I'm Dan, your host, and today we'll explore the very beginnings of optics with Kelly. This was a serious deep dive. How deep, you ask? The Book of Optics dates back to 1021 and is really what many believe to be the foundation of what we consider modern photonic technology. Whenever I learn about books or volumes of books written at such an early age, I can't help but think about other ancient relics and artifacts that have survived the test of time. One such relic is the Holy Grail. From the Knights of Medieval Legends to Indiana Jones, the Holy Grail has been the most sought-after Christian relic in popular culture for centuries. The Grail is most commonly identified as the cup that Jesus drank from at the Last Supper and that Joseph of Arimathea used to collect Jesus' blood when he was crucified. Given the importance of Jesus' crucifixion and the Eucharist in Christian beliefs, the search for the Grail became the holiest of quests as it signified the pursuit of a union with God. Although it is generally accepted as mythic, some believe the Holy Grail is more than just a figment of medieval literature. Some Arthurian tales claim that Joseph of Arimathea brought the Grail to Glastonbury in England. One legend has it that on the spot where he buried the Grail, the water runs red because it runs through Christ's blood. Those scientists agree that this is just the effect of red iron oxide in the soil. Others believe that the Knights Templar seized the Holy Grail from Temple Mount during Crusades and it secreted it away. One of the most discussed parts of the Grail's folklore is its ability to give anyone who drinks from it eternal life. This is portrayed in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where Indy drinks from the simple chalice of a carpenter and is informed by the Guardian Knight that he has chosen wisely. It is rumored among hardcore fans that drinking from the Holy Grail is what helps Indy survive a nuclear blast later on, while hiding in a refrigerator in later installments of the series Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Now I can't say that this would actually work, but perhaps the combination of drinking from Christ's cup of everlasting life and hiding in a refrigerator is the perfect combination to beat the certain death of an atomic bomb blast.
1: The Nile was overflowing, its waters threatening homes and crops, buildings and businesses, the way of life for so many who lived along its banks. But this wasn't new. The rainy season caused a flash accumulation of water every spring, but the Caliph was tired of it. Al-Hitham believed that he had a solution to the Caliph's problem of rising water. But... Before I get into that, I should back up and tell you a little bit about Al-Hatham. While not much is known about him, the information we do have is from 13th century historian Al-Kifti. Al-Hatham was born in 965 in the city of Basra in southern Iraq. Like many young people of his day, he began his education in religion. But he wasn't really a fan of the conflict and the pressure of the multiple viewpoints within his Muslim faith. So he shifted his focus away from religious studies and focused instead on mathematics and science. His skill in knowledge earned him notoriety, and he was soon appointed to the office of vizier in his native Basra. Vizier al-Haytham's reputation spread far and wide, and by the early 10th century, it reached the ears of al-Hakim bi-Amar Allah, the Fatimid Kafir, of Egypt. And that takes us back to the beginning of the story. Al-Haytham believed that his method of river management would work to reduce the effects of annual flooding. And as he was the greatest mind of his time, it had to work, right? Unfortunately, his plan wasn't working, and the reasons why have been lost in time. Typically, this wouldn't be an issue. You know, sometimes things just don't work and you try the next thing. But Kafir al-Hakim was not known for his patience. You see, the Kafir was a bit... off. His eccentric style of ruling included forcing people to work during the night and sleep during the day, not allowing women to leave their homes, not allowing the consumption of certain foods and... Well, he killed all of the dogs in his region. No one really knows why. If he didn't like something a tutor or minister or advisor said, well, he killed them too, in what is described by historian Al-Kifti as brutality. Al-Haytham was afraid to share his failure, but he was smart. As cruel as the kafir was, he wouldn't execute an insane man. Maybe he had a soft spot for people like him. Al-Hatham feigned madness in exchange for his life. For his failure, he had his possessions stripped away from him, and he was placed under house arrest from 1011 until the time the kafir al-Hakim died in 1021. But it was during that time that Al-Haytham wrote the masterpiece that earned him his title as the father of modern optics, the Kitab al-Manazir, the Book of Optics.
0: You know, when you think about it, Indiana Jones had some pretty remarkable finds archaeologically. If you think about it, he had the Holy Grail, then he found the Ark of the Covenant, a chest that, according to ancient Hebrews, carries the original Ten Commandments. Jones then fought to recover the Ark of the Covenant before his enemies did, as he fears they'll use its immense powers to conquer the world. Before even finding the Ark, he has to locate and assemble the Staff of Ra using the headpiece of the Staff, which is crucial to indeed locating the Well of Souls so he can locate the Ark's true burial site. Of course his adversaries find him and discover the truth, but not before opening the ark and having their faces melted off. I can't even imagine the actual cost of all these artifacts Indiana Jones recovered over his career. The Cross of the Coronado, the Grail Tablet, Sir Richard's Shield, the five polished Sankara Stones promised to combat evil by the Hindu god of Shiva, and of course the very first artifact Jones recovers, the Kaktiafan Fertility Idol. None of this really has anything to do with the original book of optics, but I've fallen down a rabbit hole here, and we'll probably be watching the entire Indiana Jones series this weekend.
1: Before the 11th century, it was believed that vision was derived from radiation being emitted from your eyes and latching on to what was within your view. The Greek mathematician Euclid held this as his theory of extramission. While the idea of a mass population of men in togas running around with radiation beam eyes sounds like the plot of a graphic novel, it was widely accepted as to how your eyes and vision worked. Alhatham was a bit skeptical of this theory. He asked, If vision was possible because of radiation going out through the eyes, then why are the eyes damaged when looking into the bright light of the sun? Experiments, arguments, theories, and answers would all be found in the Kitab al-Manazir. Calling this the Book of Optics is a bit misleading, though, as there are seven volumes, each with its own focus. The first covered a theory of light, color, and vision, including al-Haytham's theory of intermission. This theory surmised that vision is possible due to light entering the eye. This has been the basis for all ophthalmic study and practice up to the modern day. The second volume covered visual perception and included a working structure of the human eye, which was heavily influenced by Ptolemy's optics. Volumes 3 and 4 addressed issues and errors in visual perception theory and current reflection theory, Al-Haytham believed that the goal of science was to improve and continuously analyze the works of fellow scientists. He believed that if he was reevaluating the work of the past, he owed his own work the same professional courtesy. The fifth and sixth volumes are almost a love poem to the scientific method, outlining theories and corresponding experiments in the area of reflection. The final volume in the Kitab al manazir was on the theory of refraction. This volume expanded his intromission theory of vision by hypothesizing and then experimenting with the idea that refraction played a role in sight as not all light travels into the eye at the same angle. He wrote that the non-perpendicular light that entered the eye was actually not used in vision. The Book of Optics was just a fraction of his lifetime work. Alhatham wrote over 200 pieces of scientific and religious literature. There used to be a lot more overlap between the two. Of that 200-piece catalog, only 500 have survived to the modern era. After the break, I'll tell you a little bit more about them, as well as his legacy within the scientific community. Hey Through the Lens listeners! Are you in an optical bind with delayed response and long lead times? Well, why haven't you called NACL yet? The technical experts at North American Coding Laboratories are ready to help with your optical coding project. With over 46 years of optical experience, you can rest assured that your optics are in the best hands. From the UV to IR and dip applied to DLC, we've got you coded. Connect with the experts at nacl.com. That's nacl.com today. The second Ptolemy, the physicist, the first scientist, the father of modern optics—all names used to describe Elahatham at one time or another. His most influential work, the Book of Optics, was translated into Latin sometime between the late 12th and early 13th centuries. His work influenced and inspired great minds like Leonardo da Vinci, Galileo Galilei, and René Descartes. al life and work has also been honored worldwide. The Aga Khan University named their ophthalmology chair the ibn e Haytham Associate Professor and Chief of Ophthalmology. He is on the 10 and 10,000 dinar note, His honors even exceed outside our atmosphere. There is a crater on the moon named for him, as well as an asteroid named after him. To best understand his enduring legacy, I leave you with his words. Because if this isn't the scientific method, well, I really don't know what is. The duty of the man who investigates the writings of scientists. If learning the truth is his goal is to make himself an enemy of all that he reads and attack it from every side. He should also suspect himself as he performs his critical examination of it, so that he may avoid falling e- into either prejudice or leniency. al the father of modern optics.
0: Thanks for joining us on this episode of Through the Lens. Hopefully you've learned something about the origin of the study of optics. Our episode came in discussing the Nile River and what many consider as the cradle of civilization. It's hard to hear any discussions of the Nile River without thinking of the popular pun, Denial ain't just a river in Egypt. From Saturday Night Live character Stuart Smalley all the way to Mark Twain, many people have been attributed to this universally recognized pun. Based on research, though, the very origin of this saying may actually be from an 8th grader in Reading, Pennsylvania, who entered the saying into a newspaper contest as a play on words joke. Our teacher asked us, do you know how to use denial in a sentence? She said, denial? River runs through Egypt. Thanks again for your time and for joining us on Through the Lens.